Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. Our passage today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. And when I finish, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage here that we're looking at, Second Timothy, uh, First and Second Timothy are both letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was kind of his uh, spiritual uh, apprentice or, or protege, if you will. And they were also living in some very, very difficult times, such to the point that the church was being persecuted. And Paul, as he writes this letter, he is on death row for his faith, and, and he is going to be executed for his faith. And that is the sort of environment that Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And in this letter, despite all of that opposition that they are facing, Paul gives Timothy this command that the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. God has called us to live radically different from our toxic culture so that we can reach them with the gospel and show God's kindness to them just as God has showed his kindness to us. So let's pick up here in, in verse 20 and, and kind of see the, the groundwork that he lays here. And he talks about in a, in a great house, there are these vessels, um, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. And then in verse 21, he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart and useful to the master, ready for every good work. You ever go to uh, the cupboard in the morning and, you know, grab your, your mug to get your coffee and, and somehow the dishwasher has taken the nasty stuff from the bottom and has sprayed it up into the cup and then just like baked it onto the bottom of the coffee cup and not even like your fingernail will get it off. So you have to, you know, put it in some soapy water and, and set it to the side. That, that vessel was not ready for you to use it. And when God goes to reach, reaches into the cupboard, it, will he be able to grab us and use us for the work that he has? Or are there things in our heart, animosity towards other people, other groups, maybe people that don't vote the way that we do or think the way that we do? Is there going to be things in us that causes God to put us to the side and reach for someone else who will be able to show his kindness and reach those people? 
So the challenge here is for us to, to realize those things, to cleanse ourselves so that God can use us the way he wants to. So in verse 22, he says to, to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And then in verse 23, he really starts to key in on this, this thing that he says is something that will cause us to be less usable for God. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies because they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. So what, is that, what does that mean when we, when we talk about kindness? Let's just define that a little bit for a minute. Um, when we think of kindness, we probably think of love as well, right? Those two things really go together. And, and sometimes in the Bible, they're even you know, kind of smashed together into the word loving kindness. But kindness in particular is an expression or an action that shows the love that we might have. We've probably all known um, someone in our life that, that we knew loved us, but they, they never really just said it or expressed it in the way that we were hoping that they would. Uh, I was really close to uh, my grandmother, um, and in her generation, you know, the very, very tough, resilient generation, but not the, necessarily the most expressive when it came to love and feelings. And in so many ways, she did demonstrate her love to me, but then in, in other ways, when I, I kind of would have liked her to express that in a, maybe a vocalize that or, or show it in even just in a small way, there was um, just sort of a, a divide there in, in ways that she didn't even think to express that in the way that, that maybe I wanted to receive it. But God doesn't have that problem when it comes to expressing his love towards us. In, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says that God shows his love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were doing, showing no sort of kindness to God at all, when we were completely ignoring him, he still showed his kindness to us. He didn't just hold, into his, hold on to his love and, and be in heaven and, and feel love towards us, but he actually showed that. He expressed it in his kindness to us by coming and dying for us. So Paul, in this passage, he, he outlines a lot of hurt that he received from certain people and even um, people that he had been close to. Even in uh, chapter 4, he even names some of them and gives some different examples. But in this passage, there is no asterisk next to this verse that, that gives us uh, a, you know, a, a list of people that we don't have to be kind to, or a list of groups, or a, a list of actions that if someone treats me this way, then I'm exempt from having to be kind to them. You know, even though Paul had experienced so much great hurt, he didn't give any exceptions or exemptions. He said the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. I would like to think that I'm kind to most people most of the time, but that's not going to quite cut it. Jesus said in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he said, he told them, the societal norm that you have right now is that you should love your neighbor but that you can hate your enemy. And he said, no, that's if you are going to show that you are children of your heavenly Father, you have to love your enemy. You have to be kind to those that mistreat you. 
that takes a whole nother level. Right? He said, and he also says in that passage, if you are kind to people who are kind to you, what good is that? Everyone can do that. But if we are going to be kind to people that we feel we have nothing in common with, then maybe we have everything the opposite of being, of being similar to them. Maybe we think differently. Maybe we vote differently. Maybe they say and do things that really just rub us the wrong way. But God has called us to be kind to them as well. And that is a, a supernatural work of God in our heart. So Paul gives us in this passage three ways that we can first experience the kindness of Jesus, and then we can show it to other people. If we get the order mixed up, we're, we're not going to be able to do it. If we are a, a dry sponge that just doesn't have any of Jesus' kindness in it, when we get squeezed by other people, there is no kindness that is going to come out of it. We need to be a, a sponge that is just soaking in the kindness of Jesus ourselves, to feel it deeply and personally, so that then we can show it to other people, even in the most difficult situations. So the first way that we see in this passage that we can experience the kindness of Jesus and then show it to other people is that we must be able to teach effectively. And this comes from uh, verse 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. You ever heard the saying that uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care? That's not a Bible verse, so don't, don't go looking for that later. Um, but there is some truth to it from the Bible, right? We, we know in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says that we love him because he first loved us. In Psalm 86 and verse 10 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And verse 13 says, For you have delivered my soul, for great is your steadfast love towards me. We love God because he loved us first. Because he delivered us, because he showed us that he cares for us. Then we come to him and we say, hey, we want to learn from you. Teach us. Teach us your ways so that we can be more like you. But one does not come before the other. So if we are going to be able to teach effectively, we are going to have to feel and experience the kindness of Jesus ourselves and how he teaches us. So how does Jesus teach us? We see throughout his, his ministry, and even in Paul's ministry to Timothy, that this is a very personal and relational form of teaching. Um, Jesus' ministry, when you think about it, he did speak to some very large crowds of people at certain times. But the main work that he did was with actually a, a very small group of people. We think of, of big, you know, big name sort of spiritual leaders today and how their schedule is just probably booked for years and they're on podcasts and, uh, and webcasts and they speak at these huge conferences and just always in demand. And Jesus, who's the, the greatest teacher that has ever been on this planet by a long ways, did not really follow that same model. He would speak to some big crowds, but instead of keeping that momentum going, he would then just go apart again and pour into a very small group of, of people. And then of that group, he would spend even more time with an even smaller group, Peter, James, and John, 
being in their homes, getting to, getting to know them. Can you imagine God, Jesus, in a bodily form on this earth? And in a bodily form, he can only be in one place at one time, and he chooses to spend his time with you, teaching you and investing in you. That is the model that he gives us. And Jesus gave the command to his disciples to, to go and, and to teach others in the Great Commission, right? He said, go into all the world and teach. And some of those people taught Paul, and then Paul in turn taught Timothy. And then in, in the same chapter that we're in, he tells Timothy to take the things that he has taught him and teach it to other men that can teach others also. But it comes in this, this very personal and close way. Jesus also gave us the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is not, is no longer here bodily to teach us, but he told us that something even better than that was going to happen. In uh, John chapter 14 and verse 25, he told his disciples, uh, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He has given us his word. He's given us his spirit to help teach us his word. And that kind of brings up the, the question to me, if God has put so much time and emphasis into teaching us, what is it that God has been teaching us lately? And are we, are we receptive to that? Are we searching, seeking that out? If we can't really think of anything that God has been teaching us through his word, through his spirit's work in our life. It's not because he hasn't desired to. It's not because he hasn't shown up for class. But it's probably because we just have lacked giving him the, the time and the space to really come to his word and to meditate and to seek him. If we will seek him, he will give us wisdom. He will teach us from his word, and he desire, greatly desires to do that. And then he desires for us to teach others as well. And you may, you may hear that and, and think, well, you know, I'm not really in a position of teaching. I, I don't run a Bible study. I'm not a pastor or anything like that. But at the most basic form, we are constantly teaching other people through our example. And especially if you have kids in your house, Everything that you do, whether you want it to be or not, is a lesson that you are teaching someone. And are we teaching through our example that we can get things done our way through maybe a little bit of manipulation, a little bit of raising our voice and, and really uh, imposing our will? Or are we teaching that we value people the way that Jesus valued people, that we are willing to take the time and the effort to patiently and graciously teach the way that Jesus did. Jesus summed up his, uh, his teaching model pretty well when he said, um, come and take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I will give you rest for your souls. That is such a, a great, beautiful teaching model. But it's one that takes time and takes effort, sometimes more time and effort than we're willing to give. But that is the way that Jesus wants us to realize that he graciously and patiently teaches us so that we, in turn, can graciously and patiently teach others as well. We teach through our example, but 
God also wants us to teach intentionally, just like he tells Timothy to. Who is it that we are teaching intentionally? Maybe we feel like we, we don't have anything to teach someone else. I would say that, that we all do. Even just through our testimony of what God has done through our life, we can use that to, to teach and to touch other people's lives. And we can also seek and ask for God to give us things that we in turn can teach other people. I know studying for, whether it's just a sermon or a a Sunday school lesson or or whatever it is, is some of the most amazing things that I feel God has given to me were meant to be given through me to someone else. And God blessed me and showed me his kindness through that process. And God wants to do that with all of us as well. So, God wants us to be able to teach effectively. But then he also calls us to endure patiently. In this same verse, verse 24, right at the end there, he says, patiently enduring evil. You know, when we look around at our world, sometimes it's, maybe even just in our lives, it's not always easy to see the kindness of Jesus being expressed. And there, there can be periods in our time in certain situations where we, it's really not evident just at first to see how God is being kind to us in whatever situation it is that he is allowed into our life. But there is, Jesus is always kind. And whatever he allows in our life is for a reason. And we also have to remember that Jesus has felt the full range of emotion and suffering that we feel as humans. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows who is fully acquainted with grief. And that doesn't mean that that he had a melancholy disposition. That means that while he was here on this earth, he, he felt the effects of sin and the pain that it causes. And he didn't spend his time on this earth trying to avoid those things. But no, he even went to the cross and felt all of that pain, and even the rejection of God for us, so that he could show his kindness to us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said if there was any way possible that this could pass from him, he he felt that anguish. And even on the cross, he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we feel that way, we we can know that Jesus has felt the the same as we do. But unlike in our situations where it's often something that we didn't choose but we get thrown into, Jesus actually chose that purposefully in order so that he could show his kindness to us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 reminds us to consider him who endured from sinners such contradiction against himself, lest we become weary and faint-hearted. We remember his suffering, but we also remember his promises that he has given us in these times. In, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul outlines um, an instance like this in his life. He was being put on trial for his faith. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 16, he says that at, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me but all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. Even when through this situation of feeling that the other people that he had invested in 
all abandon him in this moment, maybe for fear of what would happen to them if they associated with him. And they left him in this situation all alone. But we see in verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. We know God's promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. But in this very difficult situation that Paul had to go through, he felt it in a way that he would have never felt it before. So when we seek for it, even in these difficult situations, when we have to endure evil, we can do it patiently when we see the presence of God through these situations and see the kindness even in these hard situations that he extends to us. In Isaiah 61 in verse um, 3. Well, there's a couple of verses there. If you don't uh, mind, you can turn over there for, uh, for a minute. This is such a, a beautiful passage that um, leading up to this passage, uh, the nation of Israel had gone through um, some of God's purging and, and God's correction to, uh, to bring them back to himself. And some of that was just very, very difficult and hard. But then we see the heart of God in Isaiah 61 and verse 3. And he says, To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Back in, in that period of time, when, when people were in mourning, they would take ashes and, and put them on top of their head. Um, they would often, they would rip their clothes or maybe put on what we call sackcloth, almost like burlap. Something would be very, very uncomfortable to wear. And they would do that as, as a sign to show other people how deep their grief and their mourning was. But we see in the heart of God, he is going to take all of that away and replace it all with a cause for celebration, the beginning of something new, a purpose, a new purpose for the nation of Israel and for us as well. And he says through this, at the end of this process, they will become like oaks of righteousness. You know, an oak is not a tree that I grew up with. So coming to New England, I get a little more education about hardwood trees and just um, how amazing they are, how, also how old they are, and how long it takes them to, to grow up to be the size that they are, but then also just how immovable they are. And oftentimes when we go through difficult situations, we may not feel that strong and immovable, but to someone else looking at us and seeing God's kindness displayed to us through the situation that we're going through, we can, to them, be like that oak of righteousness. I've been reading through this, uh, this book recently called um, The Hidden Life of Trees. And it's not a Christian book, but there are so many examples biblically of trees in the Bible that it gives some more, uh, some more color to some of the analogies that, that God uses. We just, uh, as a church, memorized Psalm chapter 1, and or no, Psalm 1, I should say. <laughs> And in that psalm, right, he says that uh, the righteous person will be like a tree planted next to a river of water that has just this constant source of sustenance. And in thinking of this as, as an oak of righteousness, he talks in this book about how 
uh, trees that are put out in the open often will be able to just shoot right up. They have all the sunlight and air that they need, and they will uh, they will shoot right up and grow much faster than they would have if they were put in in a forest. But that comes with a trade-off. The trees that have to grow very, very slowly because they're not getting as much sunlight as they want, they become very, very strong and dense through that process. And the trees that are able to just shoot up because there's nothing inhibiting them from growing often break off during the next storm or are so porous that, uh, that bugs and, and bacteria are able to get in and kill off the tree. And that's such a, to me, it was such a, a cool example of this passage. In those times that we really, we can't see what God's doing and we just think, God, can you just take the situation away so that we can get on to the, the things serving you in the ways that we want to? But sometimes God says, no, this, you're going to be in a time of strengthening right now. But it's for a purpose. And God's kindness is extended to us even in that. But we have to have that mindset. It's so easy in those situations to get off on the wrong mindset. But if we will have the mindset of realizing what God is doing and that he is extending his kindness to us even through difficult situations, we can have the right perspective. And then through that, we can also feel God's kindness and then show God's kindness to others. And when someone is in a, a very, when we are in a difficult situation and we are still able to show kindness to others, that is one of the greatest testimonies that we can have for Christ and showing how he has a love that goes far beyond just being kind to people who are kind to us or just being kind when we feel like we are being overwhelmed with blessing. So we also must endure patiently. And then lastly, we must correct gently. In verses 25 and 26, back in Second Timothy chapter 2, it says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You know, we can forget sometimes that verse 26 was referring to all of us at one point. We were all in that place where we were, we had no senses for God. We were caught in the snare of the devil and we were just doing his will until God in his kindness rescued us. And then after God has rescued us with, with no work of our own, and he has taught us and brought us along in our faith, we can then look at someone else who God has not yet rescued. And we can look down on them and maybe feel animosity, maybe feel like they are an enemy to us and to God, forgetting that we once were in that same position. And we still would be there if it wasn't for the kindness that God has shown to us. I love the, the, um, the language that he used here, that they may escape, that God may grant them, give them repentance that will lead them to a knowledge of the truth. We can so easily forget that Jesus has saved us and that he wants to do the same for others, and he wants us to show his kindness to others 
so that he can rescue them as well. And so first we have to see that God's heart is to correct us gently. In Psalm uh, 103, in verse 8 and 10 and 13, it says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor reward us according to our iniquities. But as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to them that fear him. This is the heart of God. This is how he deals with us. Even when we as Christians um, get sidetracked, which happens so easily it seems, this is the heart of God that he has to correct us. But this is a picture of God that Satan wants to replace with a very different picture. A, a picture of God as, as the sheriff in the sky looking, trying to, to find a fault with us, and then seeing when we fall, when we stumble, being like a, a parent that is ashamed of us and doesn't want anything to do with us. That is the picture that Satan wants us to have of God. But we see from God's word that is not the heart that God has. God is patient with us. He gently corrects us. And we have to have that in mind when we deal with other people. There are so many examples, especially uh, in Vermont these days, it seems like, where our culture is just drifting so far away from the truth of God's word. And in some instances, that can, can make us even feel a little bit of, of, of anger to see some of the things that are going on around us. But we have to remember James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We have to be very careful in those moments that we don't respond in anger, thinking that that is going to do something. It is only the work of the Holy Spirit that is going to change anyone's heart and life and rescue them and open their eyes, just like God opened our eyes to see the truth of his word. Now, gentleness does not mean being timid. Uh, we see in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but with complete patience and teaching. Gentleness doesn't mean not telling the truth, but it means doing it in a way um, that does not include anger, that does not include uh, yelling at someone else, thinking that, that maybe we can win the argument, that is what is going to bring them to God. No, only God working in their heart is going to do anything. And for our part, he has called us to gently correct. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 3, let's, uh, let's turn there. Romans chapter 2. Verses 3 through 5. It says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There's a difference in the Bible between God's judgment and his correction. The heart of God is to draw us to himself and to gently correct us. But if we we refuse that, if we will not accept his payment for our sins, then we are going to face his wrath for those sins. You think of uh, of this in, in terms of, of our justice system, which is um, you know, often inadequate. But you, if you think if someone who is, who's come to court and has a whole list of charges that are brought against them, and the judge says, oh, not guilty, you're free to go we would feel like justice hasn't been done. We'd say, no, that, that's not right. They have to answer for those things. But when it comes to God, and we realize all of the sins that we have committed against him, we want the opposite, don't we? And that is just what God has offered to us. He does not make us pay for our own sins. If we will come to him in repentance, we can escape that wrath, and we can experience his gentle correction. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The good news is that there is no 10-step plan that we have to go through to receive God's forgiveness. He has done all of the work. There is nothing that anyone has ever done to receive God's forgiveness that they can point to and boast about. There's no one that can say, because I was such a a smart, moral moral person, I figured out the Bible and I I figured out what to do in order to get God's forgiveness. No, God has, every single person that has experienced God's forgiveness, he has done all of the work and he has rescued them. He's opened our eyes. If you have never done that this morning, God calls all of us to himself. His heart is that he gently draws us to himself and he wants us to accept that free gift of salvation. So as we think maybe just even on this this past week, could our life be described as reveling in the immeasurable riches of God's goodness and kindness, as it says in Ephesians 2? Have we given God the, the time and space that he desires in order to teach us? to transform us through his word, through the working of his spirit? Have we meditated on the things that he wants to tell us? Have we sought God's presence in in difficult situations that we just wish would go away, that he would just take them away? Have we sought his presence and sought to see what he is trying to do through that and the kindness that he shows us even in the situations that are uncomfortable when we have to patiently endure evil? Have we thought accurately about God's gentle heart of correction towards us? And then also had that same thought of God's gentle correction towards other people? 
Are there people that we that we have experienced uh, coming into contact this last week that that we left that encounter maybe with a bad taste in our mouth and didn't think to pray for that person to think that that maybe God wants us to show kindness to them so that He can rescue them? <coughs> this next week, we can impl- implement some of these things into our life. So that when God wants to reach someone, when he wants to show his kindness to someone, so that he can draw them to himself, so that he can teach them, we can be that vessel that he can pull off the shelf and use. Because we have been permeated ourselves with the kindness of Jesus in order that we can show it to other people as well. This is definitely a supernatural work that God has to do in our lives. So let me pray for us that God will will begin that work in us even now. Lord, we, we thank you so much for, for your word and for the truth of this passage, Lord. It is, it is a humbling and convicting truth. I pray that, that you would help us even today to, uh, to see your kindness that we can so often miss and that we, that we would feel it ourselves, that we would go back to your word, to our, our time alone with you, and that we would just be refreshed in uh, that you would give us eyes and hearts to receive what it is that you want us to learn. The, the sin that we have in our life, that we would realize that you are, uh, are gently correcting us and drawing us back to yourself and that we can come to you, we can forsake it, confess it and forsake it and experience your forgiveness, Lord. And that there are, there are others that you have put in our life, in our path, that you will put in our path this week that you want us to show that kindness to in order that you may reach them as well. Lord, I pray that you would do this work in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.